from the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona, this is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Welcome to Outpost Outspoken. I'm your host for this segment, Anna Henderson. Yuma Proving Ground is the home of Yuma Test Center, which conducts extreme hot weather testing. Our workforce evaluates how the weather, among other things, affect test items. And one of those methods they use to inspect items prior and following test items are x-rays. Lindsay Carter is a radiographer for YTC. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you. Tell us what led you to your career field. So I originally started out, I, I went to AWC and I went through the radiology program there for the two years. And I got my medical license in a radiology. And when I did that, I, I knew right away in my heart that I did not want to work in the hospital field. I didn't want to be in a doctor's office because I, I really didn't want to wear the scrubs. I am a blue jeans and boots kind of girl. And so I had heard about non-destructive radiography. And so I wanted to get my foot in the door with YPG. And so I actually started out here as a data collector and moved my way up through the field. And a data collector goes out to the test sites. They can wear blue jeans and t-shirts. Yes, and- yes. You know, I'm an outside girl, so that was perfect way to, to start my career out here. You said you worked as a data collector and then you moved into another shop? Actually, I started out at YPG in 2011 and it became slow and we had cuts. And so I was kind of one of those. I wasn't at my 90 days. So I was put to uh, field tech in part-time on call. I was fortunate enough that I was able to pretty much work full-time out of that because I didn't want to turn a job down. I knew if I turned a job down, I probably wouldn't be called again. So anything they had, I took and I was able to get a lot of my certifications, my forklift certification, my ammo handlers. And that got a lot of doors open for me within YPG as to what shops I could work within. And I was fortunate enough that I was working on the 3490 shop and uh, I heard that there was a radiography position opened and I submitted my resume. And fortunately, Curtis Webb took a chance on me when he saw radiography in my background. And I've been in that shop ever since. So now you've been in that shop for 11 years. First explain what the goal is of your shop and also why perform an x-ray instead of opening up this test item. So our ultimate goal is to help the customers see any phases of of what's going on through any of our dynamic testing. So we at Met and Sim, we have multiple phases that we do. We have climatic testing, we do loose cargo, drops, vibration. And so with radiography, anytime it's dynamically tested as far as any type of our test items, we might be looking for cracks, separation, voids, any type of damage or missing items throughout those rounds or an LAT round before they're being fired. And so that way it gives a customer the insight of what phase might have caused some type of damage. And we do radiography instead of having demo tear it apart because it keeps it from, it keeps the item whole and fresh and it keeps it so they can actually fire that item instead of completely destroying it. I heard you explain this before. It was comparing the x-rays you used in the medical field compared to the x-ray machines and strength that you use here at YPG. Tell me about the difference. So as far as the medical field, you might look at, say, a typical finger x-ray and you're saying, hey, it's going to be like 55 kV for, you know, quick millisecond. Whereas here at YPG, our system can go all the way to 6,000 kV. And we're using that for sometimes a couple minutes on end. So you're looking at an average of a two-minute shot to three-minute shot for us at 3,500 to 6,000 on an average item. So in the medical field, you're just, you need to get through some skin, maybe through some right. organs. And here, we're going through heavy <laughs> If we were metal. to do that on a person, we'd de- <laughs> definitely do some damage, that's for sure. So our patients here, luckily, aren't screaming. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, we need to get through all that heavy duty metal. So I, I can see why it has to be a lot stronger in that respect. But what about the different sizes? As far as what we offer, we actually have a variety of systems. We have two remote systems. We have a LORAD 160 and we have a LORAD 300. And those are our field units. So anytime we go in the field, those are our portable units. We also have ones that we keep at our x-ray facility, our static facility, which are our 160, our 450, and our Linitron system. And that's the one we can change. It's variable between 3,500 and 6,000 kV. So we have a large range of what we can shoot. And that depends on the item as well whether it's going to be a small fuse where we need to see intricate items such as maybe a wire or some type of small circuitry, all the way up to a, a 155 where we're going to need to penetrate and use that larger KV. And that's um, maybe we're seeing the HE and large cracks on that. That gives us the opportunity to do so. So the mobile option, when would be a situation that you use that? So anytime we might have an, an item that duds out on the field or they, we know it's not safe to handle and bring back to our facility, we work hand-in-hand hand with Brad Safety and our demo personnel, and that way we go out on the impact zone with them, and we can actually set up on one of the zones, and we x-ray right out in the field to determine it's, if it's safe to handle, and we determine that based off of its fuse positioning. Wow, I didn't know that. There's also different types of x-ray procedures. Can you talk to me about those? Yes. So, again, we have a variety of modalities. So, one of our newest is we do offer a CT. So, it is something that takes a long time. Uh, most items, one item will usually take about four hours from the time you shoot it to the time you reconstruct it. Uh, we also offer, again, we offer our remote x-ray. So, we go out in the field and we can uh, go downrange and, and do any of those um, remote operations. And that way, it's not an item that's being brought back into our facility. We have static x-ray, which is, again, within our facility, we offer three different types of systems. And we have flash x-ray, which is currently being revamped at the moment. But that's something we do offer as well. All of these different modalities that you're mentioning are similar or the same thing that would be used in the medical field. A lot of our software is made by the same manufacturers. However, we modify it to, to our liking or to what our needs are. So you'll see sometimes that we've had software where it says, you know, it's the patient's head or foot or right side, <laughs> left side. So we've kind of modified it to, to our liking and our needs. Um, but again, it is something that goes in hand in hand with the medical field as well. You so start naming lot the test items. You're like, okay, this is your head, this is your bottom. <laughs> All right, will you give me an example of a typical day for your team, if you even have a typical day? <laughs> Every day is going to be different. We always say, you know, it doesn't matter what schedule you have, it's always going to be a mix-up. We try to do our best to accommodate scheduling, but we fortunately are, are one of those where we might be using one system, our Lorad system in the morning, or our Linitron system all day long. And then we have to hurry up and swap out to CR. We have DR, which is also going to be our digital radiography. We use computed radiography. And so you're, you might be switching panels two or three times a day, depending on your test. Um, we might have one test that lasts a week. We might have a test that we're running three or four tests in a day. So it all depends on the test items and how many. We have a lot. Sometimes a quantity of 12 will take us two days. And sometimes, you know, you can get 100 and some items in it of small items in a day. So it all depends on what we're looking for with each type of test item. And if you work with the demo and safety, I'm sure sometimes you have those off hours where you're working weekends. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually spend all of March pretty much here Monday through Saturday. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you for what you and your team do here every day at YTC and for the Army. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Yuma Proving Ground is known as a natural laboratory for extreme hot weather testing. Not many know that YPG employs an archaeologist to help preserve cultural resources around the test range. Here to tell us about her efforts is Jane Poss. Welcome, Jane. First, tell me how you got into the fascinating world of archaeology. I feel that it's like a job that most people would love, but few pursue. Thank you. Yes. I started in archaeology as an undergraduate when I was at university. I attended Columbia University, which is renowned in the U.S. for its very robust anthropology program. It's also rare among schools in the United States for having a separate archaeology program. Most schools, archaeology is part of anthropology. So I started taking classes there, and I really fell in love with the discipline. That took me to graduate school. I attended St. Anthony's College at the University of Oxford to study visual material and museum anthropology. And these all sound like very disparate fields, but all work together very nicely. You've been able to travel the world because of this field that you're in. Yes, this is actually, this is funny. This job is the first time I've worked as an archaeologist in the United States. When I was an undergraduate, I was following around my advisor and other professors on excavations in Ireland and in Ecuador, learning the basics of archaeology and helping them with their field research. In my head, I think archaeologist, I think Jurassic Park. I mean, were you ever part of those types of excavations? Yes, I was doing what you think of when you think of archaeology is, you know, people standing with shovels and trowels over a hole in the ground, <laughs> pulling things out. And I have done that, and that gave me an introduction into the basics of excavation. But what is interesting is what I do here at YPG is very little of that. Almost all of our archaeological work is by foot survey. So we're just walking along the ground looking for what's lying on the surface of the desert and not so much digging into the ground like you see on TV. <laughs> not digging for dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about that. So you're within YPG's Environmental Science Division under the Cultural Resources Subdivision. So what's your goal? Our goal is to balance mission requirements and achieving the goals of YPG with environmental protection. So we keep YPG in compliance with applicable cultural resource laws, regulations, Army guidance, and help the Army be a good steward of this land as it's fulfilling its testing mission. So when I first met you, we were out there for Earth Day. You were working with some children from the local schools, and um, somebody asked you if you spent a lot of time in the field, and your answer was not quite what I expected. So can you give us an example of your typical week? Surprisingly enough, I'm not out doing archaeology or doing the field side of archaeology all day every day. Part of that is because there's a lot more work in the office than you expect. Once we collect the data out in the field, we then have to process that data. Whether that's writing reports, processing GIS data, or drawing maps, or preparing to present our findings to outside parties. While archaeology is more of an interpretive science and is less like other, I don't want to say hard sciences, but sciences like chemistry, there's still the uh, element of we find data and then we then have to collect all the data that we can about this piece or about this artifact or about this feature that we find and then process and present that data. So if we find a piece of pottery, we'll, we'll take photographs of it, we'll measure it, we'll take very detailed notes, we'll take precise locational information and then take that back to the field and see if we can identify where it comes from or what tradition it comes from. So when you're in the field, what are the certain things that you're looking for? We're looking for any evidence of past human activity, and that can be really broad. It's common on YPG for us to find uh, rock cairns, rock alignments, cleared circles, and evidence of prehistoric and historic trails. But we're also looking for any artifacts, 
any signs that there was a dropped pot, a place where people made stone tools, a place where people made fire, anything that can tell us that people once lived in or used this area. Mm -hmm. Now here at YPG, we have the white tanks and we have Mojave tanks, and we're not talking about the military combat vehicles type of tanks. Can you describe to our listeners what these are? These tanks are also called natural Tanahas. Essentially in the mountains here in YPG and in the Kofa National Wildlife Refuge, there are deep, natural, straight-sided, essentially water catchments that fill with water during the monsoon season and then hold water. Mojave tanks and white tanks are unique in that they, in a good year, will hold water the entire year round. So they're a reliable source of water that doesn't dry up seasonally. As a result, they have been sites that human beings have camped at or have used for thousands and thousands of years. And we found traces, whether that's rock art, pottery, signs of campsites, signs where people were preparing resources and preparing food in these archaeological areas. I've visited both once to take photos. It's just amazing how the sites are still there and well-preserved. Um, and I know that you work with a lot of outside agencies, at least your environmental science division does. Tell us about those agencies and how they help. Our cultural resource legislation requires us to consider the effects that our projects will have on cultural resources that are present. First, we have to determine what is there, whether that's an archaeological site, a historic building, or something like that. And then we have to determine how important it is and what we are going to do about it. That regulatory process requires us to work with both the Arizona State Historic Preservation Office, so that's the arm of the Arizona executive branch that deals with historic preservation and archaeological sites, and also 17 Native American tribes that have expressed an interest in the cultural resources here on YPG. I have mentioned this in the past, that our firing fans for the impact sites are very specific. And everything is done in our power to make sure they don't impact any of these sites, also other popular sites with wildlife. How else are these sites maintained and preserved? For us to avoid a site or to address a site when we're doing project planning to meet YPG's mission, we first have to know it's there. So the first step is to do our archaeological survey and to do all of our background research to identify what sites are there and what they are. Once we have done that, we can, if we can, plan, aiming firing fans around them, moving roads slightly, shifting our project plans so they don't have an undue impact to these cultural resources. We have a testing mission on YPG, and we have to find a very delicate balance between fulfilling that mission and environmental protection to the best of our ability, and that includes protection of these cultural resource sites. So we work very closely with the mission side of the house and working to modify plans if needed to avoid sites or mitigate the impacts to sites, whether that's adjusting where a road or an observation mound will be placed or having us out there while construction is ongoing. Jane, I really appreciate you sitting here and telling me your story. It's so fascinating to hear about your experience as an archaeologist. Thank you for your time today and also what you do for YPG and its mission. Thank you for having me, Anna. This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.